And welcome, everyone, to our latest NCAA social series dealing with COVID-19. Uh, for this episode, we're going to deal with football. I'm pleased to be joined by Kirk Herbstreet from ESPN's College Game Day, Shane Lyons, the athletic director of West Virginia, but also in charge of the Football Oversight Committee, and Dr. Brian Hainline, the NCAA chief medical officer. Uh, Kirk, I want to start with you. Um, you know, one point at the beginning of this pandemic, you had come out and said that uh, you know, thought it was going to be questionable uh, if there would be college football in the fall. Uh, there's been a lot of conversation at all levels of Division One in college football about where we stand, and it's a moving target right now. So where are you at this juncture here in mid-May as to whether or not you think it may happen? Well, first, just to, to understand where I was, I, 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 and I, I think it was viewed and, and misconstrued quite a bit. It wasn't as if the way it was portrayed by many, it was like I stood on top of a mountain with a lightning bolt and said there will not be football in 2020, which had nothing to do with reality. It was more just me thinking out loud uh, with a buddy who was doing ESPN radio. We were actually talking about MLB opening day being uh, suspended and baseball being suspended. And I, I was almost thinking out loud, like, man, this, this thing is real. You know what? This thing could go into the fall. I mean, there's a chance we couldn't have football. You know, and, and I think it became I was saying there wasn't going to be any football. What do I know? I, I'm listening uh, to doctors like 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 this to help me understand what's happening. So I, I, I sit back. I'm, I'm very open minded. Andy, I, I, I like to listen to the experts. Uh, I love to listen to the people who are who are studying this and, and do this for a living and respond to what they're saying. I, I'm one of these guys that follows the rules. So if they say this is what you need to do, then. I'm, who am I to say no? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want to do. So I, as far as football is concerned, I am. I, nobody wants football season more than me. I, I not only make a living; it's my passion. I love it. But I, like everybody else, I, I want everybody to be safe and, and let's do this as, the smartest way we can. But uh, I just feel like, and I'd love to hear what what uh, the doctor and Shane think about this. Seems to be a little bit of a moving target. It's very hard and. In, um, in May to sit here and have a definitive answer to where we're going to be next week, let alone where we're going to be uh, in August or September. Before they answer, I just want to add this in, because for those that are watching may not know this, you're in a pretty unique situation because you're also a parent of yeah. football players. I mean, your sons play at Clemson. So um, how do you balance on one side You've got the passion, you know, your livelihood is connected to it, like a lot of us here in college sports, but also you're a parent of two student athletes. I, I guess I, I don't look at it any differently than how I feel. I mean, obviously, they're my children and I care about them deeply, but I care about I care about people. You know, I, I, I don't uh, I guess I don't look at my kids any differently than I look at the players that I cover. Um, I, I want the best for all these guys. And I look at them in a weird way as all my children. Like I, I want, I, how could I, how could I look at my kids? I'm going to treat this way and and make sure that they're taken care of. But these other players, I, they're fine. Like get them out there and play. So I, I, I don't really have a, a a problem at all with separating my two kids and how I view it as a parent. It's very similar, honestly, how I view it as an analyst. I don't look at my livelihood at all when I'm evaluating this. I'm looking at strictly from can we do this logistically? How do we do this? Can we do it with fans? Can we? Or is the stadium's going to be empty? How do we get players back in the facilities? 
Uh, we're going to work and ease them back at 10 at a time, or would my kids be included in that at Clemson? So I, I really, uh, Andy, I look at it, you know, in the, through the same lens, just because I, I care about these players. All right, so Shane, so pick up, if you can, from where Kirk uh, sort of led us to, which is where are we in some of those decisions? Well, you know, and I think Kirk summed it up. You know, I think as an athletic director, and I'm speaking for all of us, you know, we do this as a business, but at the same time, we do it for young people. And first and foremost is the health and safety of those young people as we as we move towards a football season. And, you know, football season is important to us, you know, financially as an athletic department. But at the same time, it's it's important to these young people that that's their passion and they also want to play football. Um, and, you know, how do we do do that with this pandemic and we use the, the data and information that we get from the medical experts to help guide us as we go down that path. But, you know, I think the first thing that, that we focused on is, you know, obviously I just said it, the, the student athlete well-being. You know, what does that actually mean? And then the competitive equity standpoint, we're in a very competitive business. So we understand that, you know, different states are going to open up at different times. And what does that look like? Where's the competitive equity fall into play? So what we've kind of grouped this as of, let's focus on the return to practice, return to play. What does that look like? And we've had some time to talk about different models and there's a, you know, anywhere from a six to four week model, six weeks being optimal, four weeks being the minimum that we believe that is prior to the first contest. And we'll get to that later, whenever that may be. That could be August 29th or September 5th when the bulk of, of games are played. But we've also worked with other committees within the NCAA structure to say, you know, let's back that up and look. let's look at six weeks. If we don't have any summer activities going on, is six weeks the optimal time? What does that six weeks look like? and the minimum is four weeks. So we're, we're working through that as we speak, but I do think that, you know, that's the, the models that we're going to focus and concentrate on as we continue to move down this path. So Dr. Hayline, a week ago, you and I were talking with uh, Mark Emmert about this, um, and you were saying that there had to be that minimum, whether it's four weeks, six weeks, and there's going to be a minimum at some point for every sport. Um, what's happened in maybe the last week as to, what would occur if school X can start its conditioning on August 1st, but maybe another school can't start until September 1st? Well, that's the, that's the competitive equity issue that, that Shane was talking about. And I think really the, the entire membership um, has to get involved in this conversation. You know, for the first time, we're really talking about that because this is a, a unique circumstance and, and we've never had to address issues like this. So. Um, I'm sure that's going to come up more, not just with the Football Oversight Committee, which obviously we're working very closely with, but the Committee on Competitive Safeguards and Medical Aspects of Sports. I mean, you have this real harmony of, of, of committees meeting together and, 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 and plus with the commissioners and athletic directors. And so everyone's weighing in. So I don't think we had that uh, magical answer. And, and when President Emmert was speaking, you know, he's saying, well, look, at this is how the NCAA is structurally right now. So. A school can start when 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 it wants to start, and there are sort of minimum requirements. But but you know we may come up with a different model. I don't know that to be to be true, but um, people are talking about it enough that I'm sure we're going to be talking about it more. Hey, and if I could love to ask Shane, I, I I'm confused myself, and I'd love to 
to hear from Shane and, and Dr. Hainline on this. It, it, there's not Roger Goodell that, that, that is going to say, I'm, I'm, I'm digesting all this information. I appreciate everything I'm hearing. I'm getting medical uh, information. I'm getting each conference weighing in. Here's what we're going to do collectively. Here's what we're going to do. I'm very confused on, I live in Nashville, Tennessee, and I, I, my, my vibe and listening to the ADs and, and the, the players and fans, I mean, it's, they can't wait to get back to the facility. And they, as far as they're concerned, it's a no-brainer. Camp is going to open up on time. Let's play the season, and maybe it will happen. Hopefully it does. I, I don't sense that from Larry and the Pac-12. I, 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 um, I'm just wondering how do we, how do, who's going to green light this? Is it, is it each individual conference? Is it the presidents? Is it very, is it the mayors? Is it the governors? Like who, who green lights and says, okay, West Virginia, you're ready to go. Who, who's in charge? I, I don't know. So go I'll ahead. take it from one point of view and maybe Shane, you, you'll, you'll take it from another. So um, if, from, from the first point of view, there, there are sort of three issues at hand. One is from a federal level that we're allowed to engage, right? And then the next is each state is going to be a little different. Where I am in New York right now is, is, is very different than, than Texas and the rules of engagement and resocialization. So then at the state level, it's different. And then the school ultimately has to feel comfortable within the state guidelines. And one school may feel that they're ready to really re-engage for campus life, and another may feel they're not. So that's one sort of model that, that's out there, Kirk, and, and, and I think that's what President Emmer was referring to. But then there are other discussions where we may say, and, and this is where I, I'm, I'm sure Shane can pick up, where we say, okay, well, let's look at the summer and, and, and the CARA activities, accountable athletic-related activities. Is there a time where we don't want people to start before X date or something like that? And we can start having those kinds of discussions. And, and I know Shane, as chair of Football Oversight Committee, they, they waited on that, and that is probably going to get worked through the membership. Yeah. I think the important thing is, you know, there isn't one – person that's just going to ultimately make the decision. And it is a collaborative effort, Kirk, among the conferences, the NCAA, the medical experts, your local health departments. There's a lot of different entities that's going to play a part in this. So it's really working together. And, you know, I think our group can come up with recommendations and thoughts. But when it really, really boils down to what the season looks like, you know, I, I do think that there's going to be those situations where there's not going to be a hundred percent participation. And what do, do we all wait till it's a hundred percent? Or if 80% of the schools are ready to go, do we start the season? And I think that's the discussion that the conference commissioners are going to have to have. And then you also ask the question, what does that look like, you know, for the season? We're not quite there yet, but it's, is, is it only conference only play or are we, still going to have the non-conference competitions and have a 12-week season. So I think, you know, I don't have that crystal ball yet to look at it and say, this is the way it's going to be. I think it's very fluid. But you bring up a great point of, you know, right now the California schools, especially with the news that, that came out, you know, this week about them, you know, that, that raises a lot of eyebrows to say, how is this all going to work? And maybe there is going to be inequalities that some – you know, we may start football without some other schools starting at that point. So those are, are questions that are unanswered at this point, but very good questions. So, Shane, let me pick up on that. Uh, first, 
I think we will see some loopholes because uh, in conversations I had with San Diego State uh, on the football side, Long Beach State, which doesn't play football but plays men's basketball, other sports, you know, I think if some students are on campus, they will justify that to obviously still have athletes, which is maybe more controlled group. But, you know, look, the August 29th date might be a little unrealistic, certainly for the masses. What are the chances, Shane, if there is a date? Is it September 15th? Is it September? Whatever that date is. And that's going to be the new start date for college football. And whoever's ready and has had that training beforehand can go. And if you didn't get your four or six weeks in before and you have to start up in October, then so be it. What are the chances that at least a new start date, a more maybe reasonable one that majority could have, could exist, and then you work around who could be ready to go at that juncture? Yeah, I think you look at all those things, Andy, and, you know, I, I don't think there's that one model yet. You know, if you look at this, we're, we're 65 days roughly since March 11th when I was in Kansas City at a men's basketball tournament and, and ready to tip off. The next thing you know, we're, we're canceling. We had one night of basketball. Yep. And you look back, and that's 60, roughly 65 days ago. Now you look ahead, we're about 115 days away from the start of football. So what's the next 60 days going to tell us? There's a lot of information that has been gathered in data in the, in the first 60 days. So what is the next 60 days? So I, I don't think we can rush to judgment yet to, to make a date. But I think you have to be prepared to say, what does the season look at like? Is it all 12 games start on time? Is it a delayed season? Is it an interrupted season? Is it potentially, we've talked about a spring season. So I think you got to throw all those things on the table and start having contingency plans as you move forward. But to say that there's concrete answers of what that's going to look like as of today, I don't think we have that answer. Andy, can I can I ask a, real quick a question? Um, my concern is if if we get through all these these uh, obstacles and and we 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 get everybody and we're going to get everybody on campus and we're going to start practicing. Everybody's fear is a player gets it asymptomatic or he gets it and it's bad. Who knows? I'm 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 more fearful of assistant coaches and head coaches and people in the in the in the facilities. All of a sudden, somebody gets it. Um, how do you handle that as, as, as an institution? Do you handle that as an NCAA governing body? How do you handle when, when players or coaches get it and it's not, well, it's asymptomatic, he's got a little cough, but no, this guy happens to be as an example. He's in the hospital. He's, he's fighting for his life. I mean, that's a real possibility um, that we need to think about. I'm going to ask Dr. Hainline to jump in there, but you know, yeah. I, I do think it's where you go into the you know, go back to your local health departments and we do have to have the testing and, and Dr. Hainline can talk about that of, you know, what that's going to look like. Yeah, and I, I think I'll go back to first to your point, Shane, comparing March 11, 65 days ago to when football is going to start. And so you look at March 11th, we tried to imagine even, you know, could we hold like a mini final four and just get four teams uh, to play safely? And, and, and Kirk, we couldn't do that at that point in time because then the only testing that was available with the public health infrastructure as it was, was for the very, very sickest people. You couldn't even in Atlanta get sick people tested. And, and the test turnaround took at least 72 hours. 
And so that was for ethical reasons and all sorts of other reasons. There was no way to even imagine a small game because there was the probability that one person would test positive. Now you go to where we are today and there's a whole new revolution of tests that have come out. And, and we're measuring how, how good are those tests. Some of them are serology tests that even can tell if you're actively infected, not just if you have immunity. And, and some of them are even saliva-based tests where you don't have to go into the nasal pharynx to, to get the sample. You, there's a turnaround in 15 minutes. And that's still not really perfected. And so we expect the testing to change even more considerably over the next 30, 60 days. But getting back to your specific point, if a player tests positive right now, as we're here, that player is going to have to be quarantined for 14 days. And then you're going to have to look at all of the close contacts and you're going to have to make decisions. And so if the decision is that all the close contacts are quarantined for 14 days, essentially, well, that's going to be really, really difficult. If the testing is such that you can really monitor every one, three, five days, or you have a five-day quarantine and you can you can predict with more certainty what's going to happen after five days. So you, you can start then imagining that there are scenarios where you don't have to shut down an entire team or groups of teams for, for two weeks at a time. And so, so the answer to your question is really going to depend on two things, and we keep emphasizing this. One is that you have exceptional surveillance and contact tracing available, and the other is that you have testing. And so one add the other thing as we're as we're sitting here right now, um, you would you would say, well, if you're going to have a football game before that game starts, every person is going to be tested and all the people in the inner bubble are, are, are going to be tested. That doesn't mean that those individuals won't test positive on Monday, but it means that day it's the best you have to a good working system. So very regular testing with a good sensitivity and specificity is, is going to be a necessary part of this equation, which then, of course, that increases the cost of, of the infrastructure of running a football program. Um, but it, it's it's really, at least right now, that's the necessary stuff that we see. But yeah, I mean, I think a big difference to go back to like Rudy Gobert and the NBA is at that point, we had no choice, you know, as a sports community. I mean, sort of to, they had to do that because they didn't know, um, you know, how much it was going to spread, what everyone was going to be like. But now I would think that if there is a positive test by September, um, you would be able to narrow that down and not have to shut down the entire sporting landscape because of it. I want to get back, though, Kirk, um, to the point that Shane brought up before. I'm just curious how comfortable you are if this is a 2020 reality that whatever that date is, if it's a new date when the college football season would start, if teams are not ready to go, then they can't participate until they have met that minimum, let's say it's four weeks, six weeks, uh, you know, training to avoid other injuries, uh, other issues with the sport of football. No, I, I think uh, I agree with Shane, whether it's four or six. I, I think one thing that the average fan is, is probably not fully appreciating is these players have been away from their facilities and their strength coaches and the dietitians for eight weeks now, six to eight yeah. weeks. And even though they're on top of them, I have two that live here, you know, they're in constant contact, you know, there aren't, kids don't have weight rooms, you know, they're doing push-ups and the, doing the best that they can. It's very, very different, Andy, as you know, compared to Monday through Friday, you're cranking into the facility, you're getting a great workout, you're getting your squats in, you know, by the time August rolls around, you don't even need camp to really get ready, 
you're already in, in mid-season form by the time the end of summer comes around. So I, I do think that when you just throw out a, a four-week or six-week, I don't think it's just to get stronger. I think it's to avoid injuries, put the COVID-19 to the side. It's, it's more of trying to put your body in a position to be able to compete. And I'll leave it to Shane and his, his committee and, and others to be able to come up with what they think is, is the right amount of time to be able to do that. What they're recommending when you hear about four or six weeks, I, you know, I, I, would, I would agree with that in, in the hopes that these guys are, uh, are taking this time seriously, whether it's West Virginia, Oklahoma, wherever it is. Uh, Shane knows, and Andy, you know, these athletes, you know, they're not all following – uh, the guidelines that are being recommended to them by their strength coaches. So they're going to need that time to, to get ready to go. So Dr. Hayline, one of the things I, I definitely want to bring up that, you know, is brought up a lot about football and they're all on top of each other and they're sweating and all that. But this disease, this virus, um, you know, how is it transmitted uh, that just sort of re-educate people, the droplets, the spit versus actual sweat that might, get on another individual right so so what we know about this virus right now it's not transmitted by by sweat so it really is a, a respiratory droplet virus but but there's also there's a component of it especially when you have people breathing really hard they're on top of each other that it, there's the aerosol component so the virus when you can imagine when people are very close that it can it can be in the air so it's not just in the heavy droplet form and then the other part of it, which is uh, it goes to sports like football and, and of course wrestling. You know, you if, if you're if you are contagious, you're touching your nose, your mouth, and then your your hands go on on some someone else's body or or goes on an inanimate shared object. Um, it's transmitted that way too. So it really is the respiratory uh, component that's important, but that respiratory component gets onto the hands and it's shared that way as well. So. Um, you know, sweat, we're not concerned about, but that's the least of our concerns. What about the football itself? Well, it's an interesting question. And so even as we put the core principles of resocialization document together, we noted that in phases one and phases two, when you're just starting to get engaged, you want to make sure that everyone is capable of doing what they need to do. And we recommend that uh, shared balls not be part of phase one and phase two. So there certainly is that uh, possibility, perhaps even a probability that the virus can be transmitted by a shared ball too. So, so football, you know, as Dr. Fauci uh, noted the other day, that that football has risks associated with it if there are symptomatic people. So, um, that's why we're going to have to really take it that extra level, and where the testing is going to be so critical. Hey, if I could jump in real quick, we we've talked a lot about the players and, and whether or not we're going to have football or not. I know you guys probably hear this as much as I do. Do you guys envision? fans being in the stands do you, do you think they'll be able to come and if they are able to come is it half the crowd that comes in normally is it a quarter of the how do you how, where are you in discussions about whether or not we're going to be able to have fans in the stadium if in fact we eventually get to football well i can tell you where i stand kirk and and, and that is that we first have to just get this right for the inner bubble and, and so you, you think of, uh, and, and, and I'm, I'm involved also with, uh, with the U.S. Open Tennis Championships, and, and I'm advising on that. And that happens the, the right when football opens up, so yeah. before and after Labor Day. And so you first imagine a no-fan scenario. 
and you create what's called an inner bubble, which are the players and those that really are in close contact with the players. Then there's an outer bubble of people who are necessary to run the event, but they're not in that same close quarters. If you can get those two down and then you have a wide open place like a football stadium, it's actually a little bit easier once you perfect the the, the core foundation of this to imagine having fans in, not having 100,000 fans, but maybe you start building on that. But you want to make sure that the foundational principles of health and safety are, are first in place. Jane, yeah. as an athletic director. Yeah, I was going to say, you know, we, we have groups within campus, within the conference from our event management staffs that have started looking at that, Kirk. And, you know, I, I don't think you're going to have the, the 60 to 100,000 fans that, that we once uh, you know, had last year, but I, I think you're looking at ingress, egress, tailgating, um, you know, once they're in the stands, is there ways you, you set people apart? So there's all kinds of logistic issues that's being looked at of, you know, your concession stand lines. How, how do you, do, how do you keep those going? How, how do you, do you have certain times of certain people that come in the gates so it's more timed in the separation as opposed to we've all seen the gates where there's masses of people all at one time. So, you know, I think Dr. Hainline's right. Our focus has been right on that core, meaning the student athletes and, and the coaches on the field. But then we're starting to work outward to say, what does that look like for the fans? And, you know, most likely, you know, many states are going to require, you know, some protective personal equipment, the, the mask. <laughs> This might be a naive question, but is is this the way it is for this year? I'm thinking strictly for college football. Is it, is this how 2021 is going to be? Is this how 2020? Is this our new normal, as you keep hearing, or is this a one season kind of thing? Well, uh, Kirk, I'll give uh, one one opinion, and I'm not saying it's you know, but this is what. The, the experts that I've been uh, working with have said, you know, we're cohabitating with this virus for a while. And uh, so it would it would it's unlikely that this is just going to magically disappear or, or mutate out in, in the near future. You know, we talk about a vaccine and, and we're all very hopeful about that. But, you know, a very close relative of this particular coronavirus uh, that led to SARS. We don't. We never got a vaccine for SARS. We don't have one for AIDS, HIV. But there's a lot of very focused effort on this. But even in the best case scenario for a vaccine, that's pushing you know well into 2021. Um, and 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 so and, and then we're waiting for the, you know there's probably going to be a large percentage of the population that is going to develop this no matter what we do because it's just such a highly contagious. Um, a virus. And, and so at some point, a large percentage of the population will have immunity, we hope. But but that takes time to, to develop. And so really, we're looking into 2021 and even next summer, 2021, we may still be cohabitating. And so that's the new normal until there's either a, a, a treatment that neutralizes this virus, we have an effective vaccine, or the virus really is no longer um, causing such havoc on our population because so many people are immune. Hey, Shane, I want to pick up on one thing that Kirk said a little bit you know, with his sons working out in the house. Um, when the athletes get back on campus, especially football players, the weight room is an important part of their day, of their prep work. Uh, what, kind of, um, you know, what kind of things are being done to make sure that the weight room 
with that volume of players coming through um, is done in a, in, a, in a health and safety manner. Well, we touched on a little bit uh, earlier. You know, we, we, all, we have talked about summer activities and as states start to reopen, you know, we're looking at our athletic facilities and what we're looking at across the board and in, in, in all the conferences is their return on a voluntary basis. And what does that look like? Again, I don't think you're going to flip the switch, Andy, and say, you know, all of a sudden 90 guys can show up to work out. You know, we're putting in systems where you have smaller groups of five to 10 guys that can work out at certain times, divide your weight room up, you know, have the cleaning equipment, have, you know, different things there uh, from the personal protection equipment to make sure that that uh, we sanitize as much as possible and, and keep as much social distancing as possible. So those things are, are being talked about, you know, returned to, to campus. We, we have, and I'm sure every campus is about the same, is we have probably, you know, 25 to 30 student athletes who are still in the Morgantown area because they never went home. So as, you know, we feel like as the city and state starts to reopen, that we'd rather have them back on our facility than them going to a, a local gym working out, that we have more control mechanisms from a safety and health standpoint than they do. So, you know, I think part of our plan as the football oversight was allowing the voluntary workouts back into our weight room as long as you're meeting your state and local federal, you know, health department guidelines. So we're in that process right now. That could start as early as June 1st. Uh, it may even, you know, go into the later June, early July. But the first step is is the voluntary workouts back on campus. Kirk, from a television perspective, and we all hope we can be on site at some point, obviously next season. Um, what do you envision that could be like? Because College Game Day obviously is an institution in this sport. My guess is that the College Game Day will follow the same guidelines that that are put in place for the the conference, the teams that we cover. Um, you know, once once that happens, if it does, uh, you know that that's where Lee Fitting and, and others that make those decisions will get involved and, and try to figure out logistically how we pull it off. If we go out on site, if we go to a studio, uh, I'm not really sure. But I'm, I'm I, I, knowing how ESPN operates, they're going to put safety first and and keep the uh, the fans and us that work on the show in mind. I just did the NFL draft. And we all were in our own houses, you know, and except for Reese Davis and, and a handful of other folks that could drive into into Bristol and even the control room. And I mean, it was a producer with a mask on and, you know, he was six to eight feet away from the director. And it was just a lot of moving parts, a very different way to do our business. And I'm sure those folks are, are starting to spin their wheels and try to figure out if, in fact, we're lucky enough to have football this fall. Um, how, we'll, how we'll pull that off as far as the TV side of it. One last topic. Uh, I just want to go around with uh, Shane and, and Dr. Hainline here. Um, you, you met, we talked about masks. We know you can't play with a mask. At least they haven't developed one yet that I know of. Um, what about coaches and officials? I'll start with you, Dr. Hainline, and then Shane, since you're with the Football Oversight Committee. Um, you know, and, and a number of these coaches and officials you know, could technically be in high-risk groups. Uh, whether they have underlying conditions, uh, whether they are over than 65, I don't want to get ageism, but I mean just some things that have been thrown out, obviously out there. But uh, where do you see that going, Dr. Hainline, at this juncture in terms of masks for everyone but 
the actual players. Well, it's a really important point, Andy, and, and we even in our document talk about that even in phase one and phase two and that, you know, for those more vulnerable individuals, those that are higher risk that, uh, you, you know, maybe it would be better to be working virtually even as we start to make certain that we can handle this properly. Uh, but then even as you get into the season, it's still uh, a, a higher risk for those individuals. And so we haven't gotten down to that granular level, but I certainly can see the, the, the coaches being more distant or, 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 or wearing face masks or making certain that they're protected in certain ways, especially those that are that are more vulnerable. And, you know, they'll be part of the whole testing paradigm as well. So, you know, it's not just for the players, it's those that are in that inner circle. And then within that inner circle, you have to take even more exceptional steps for those that are high risk. Dane? Yeah, I, I, you know, the same thing uh, Brian was saying. Again, we, we've had discussions here on campus, but, you know, I think as an oversight, you know, group, it's, it's you know, when we talk about the student athlete, it's, it's really talking about everyone that's, you know, part of the game. And that goes from officials to coaches uh, that's that's uh, working with these student athletes. And, you know, based on the data, Dr. Hainline has that better than I, but, you know, you do have those more vulnerable and it is those at higher risk, which really falls into our coaching category. So, you know, we're going to encourage, you know, and, and we've talked about this in the conference of, you know, maybe encouraging the coaches to wear the mask. Um, you know, same thing, we haven't got down to the granular part, you know, with the officials, but that could be part of the game. It could be part, as I talked earlier in the fans, uh, I don't know if you all have seen the picture from, from Georgia Tech that was a 1918 picture with uh, yeah. a football and all the fans wearing the mask, you know, that, you know, they always say history repeats itself. Well, that, that may be what 2000, you know, 20 football season looks like. So it's just going to be different. You know, we want the safety aspect of it to be the most important part, but if we can play football, we're going to play football and that's our goal, but the health and safety of the, the players, the coaches, the fans uh, are going to come first before we make that, that final decision. And Kirk, lastly, the one thing that sort of has been floated around is moving it entirely into the second semester, um, which sounds like that would be more of a last resort. But where do you stand on that, Kirk? I heard that brought up early as, as everybody was bringing up different contingencies. There was a one, two, three, four, fourth being all the way out. As you said, that second semester, making it a, a, essentially a spring sport. Shane would know a lot more about that than me. It seems like that's died down, that that would be a last-ditch effort to try to pull off the 2020 season. Is that fair, Shane, at this point to say that? I mean, it's not out, I guess, at the realm of possibility, but definitely way, way, way down the road. Yeah, I think there's a lot more, lot more logistical problems with that than trying to get it completed in the fall. And, you know, guys, we're talking football, and that's what it's about. But, you know, as an athletic director, I, I got to focus on basketball as well. Yeah. You know, all of a sudden you're bringing 14,000, 15,000 people in an indoor facility. There's a lot closer proximity than an outdoor facility. So there's just a lot of, you know, across the board, all of our sports, just still a lot of unanswered questions. And each day brings us sometimes good information, sometimes not so good information. So we just have to deal with it and be fluid as we, uh, you know, try to make decisions. All right, last thing, and I just I, and I'm not holding you to it. And I don't know, you know, bold predictions because we know things are changing daily, hourly. But at this juncture, Dr. Hainline, and then uh, Shane, if you just answer this quickly for me, is just uh, what do you think is that date 
or around that date when a decision would have to be made for when we start the college football season in the fall. Dr. Hainline? Well, you, you know, I'm actually more flexible on it because for, for me, it's just about getting in the core requirements to assure health and safety. And so these are the kinds of questions that then we go to football oversight committee and, and, and we rely on them. Jane? So I'm putting it on you, Shane. <laughs> Thanks, Brian. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm going to remain optimistic, guys. You know, I, I, again, don't have the crystal ball. I wish I did. But you know, as I said earlier, lots changed here in the first 60, 65 days, and I think there's going to be a lot changing. I, I think we got to start making decisions on the season, obviously, before, you know, July, mid-July, obviously, at the latest. And then I think that starts shifting it. If it's going to be a delayed season, what that looks like, and we'll have a lot more information. But, you know, I don't think it's going to be the normal uh, the the sixty to hundred thousand fans. If we if we start playing on September fifth, it's going to be look different from that perspective. But I still am optimistic that there's a chance that we're playing football come September. And hey, Kirk, I want to give you the last word as a parent. I'm just curious how your boys handling all this uncertainty. Um, I think I having four teenage sons. I, I think my and my kids are. You know, I'm not going to brag on their their personalities but they are they're good kids they follow the rules type of kids with that being said they they think they're going to live to be 300 years old you know and so they don't have any necessarily fear of this they're not knocking every second and saying hey can we go over to so-and-so's house and they've really done a pretty good job of of following the guidelines i'll tell you what's incredible is with these video games the headphones and the microphone they can stay connected socially with their buddies back in college. I'm sure, Shane, you're seeing that with, with uh, you know, with your players. Really, an amazing tool. If you didn't have that, you really would feel confined. But it allows them to just stay involved uh, socially with with their buddies. But um, my thing as a parent, you take your ESPN college football analyst hat off. Is I just want them to get into a regiment. You know, I think all of us. Uh, whether you're a doctor or you're you're an athletic director or a reporter or whatever you do, I think that's been a big challenge for people is trying to, you know, I, I just, other than the draft, I, you guys got me out of my Nike gear. You know, that's all I've been wearing. It's funny. You wake up, you put Nike shorts on, you get a workout, shower, you put some more Nike shorts on. So, you know, I, I'm trying to, trying to build my own day out, let alone as a parent, trying to make sure that, that my kids are, you know, doing what they need to do for classes, need to do what they're working out, things of that nature. Uh, but they've been great. They've been really good about buying in. Andy, I'll, I'm going to jump in there real quick. And, and I didn't mention it earlier. I, I have a son that plays football at Akron. Uh, okay. He has, got it. He has yeah, two yeah. years two years left. Uh, and again, you know, I use him as a test case a lot of times, just asking questions about what the student athletes and, and Kirk's right. They think they're going to live forever and don't yeah. completely understand it. But at the same time, I think, it's our responsibilities to educate them that this is very serious and that when they return to campus, even if it's for voluntary workouts, what does that mean? You know, making sure that they're social distancing and making sure that they're, you know, doing what is necessary, you know, to not to spread this. Uh, and then understanding that, you know, we, we have the mentality that, you know, we're, we're athletes. If I get sick, I just fight through it. And, yeah. and we got to be able to say to them, if you feel sick at all, this is not a time about thinking people think you're weak, but educating them to say, 
get your temperature, let us do the test, do things as opposed to, you know, spreading this to other people if they end up having the virus. So it's a lot of education that we're going to have to do with a lot of young men and, and young ladies if we open back up our campuses. And the coaches, I think that era has gone in terms of toughing it out. Uh, yeah. if you don't feel well, I think certainly in the short term, you don't feel well, you're staying out, you're staying back in your room, and you're not coming to practice for the game. Hey, this has been unbelievable, incredibly informational and educational. You can go to ncaa.org slash COVID-19 for more information. All our social series over the last eight weeks, Dr. Brian Hainline, Kirk Herbstreit, Shane Lyons, appreciate all your time, and most importantly, stay safe, everyone. Yep, same to you. Okay. Here you go.